Well, good morning and welcome to Alpine Church. Uh, my name is Chris. I'm one of the teachers here and just really excited and honored to be with you on this special tailgate Sunday. Now, you may be looking at me and wondering why I have an Atlanta Falcons jersey on, and I oftentimes wonder the same thing about myself, uh, specifically when it comes to Super Bowl tries. Uh, but hey, we're all fans, right? Most of us are fans. But uh, we really are excited uh, for this season and for this time. We're having that tailgate uh, small group discussion, uh, hangout time. And, and really, if, if you haven't been involved in a small group, this is a perfect time to do it. Um, we're kicking off a new series. In this series, we're going to be uh, you know, talking about some of these things. And so this is just a great opportunity for you to start. A very safe place, an awesome place to grow and connect with other people in the church and really dig into God's Word together. Uh, again, if you are a fusion age student, uh, we love you, we believe in you, we think you're the, the, the generation that will change the world. Uh, you have a class right now, so if you want to go out there and do that. Uh, but we are right now in uh, the very beginning of our series called In Case You Missed It. And uh, what we're going to be doing in this series over the next six weeks is we're going to be taking a look at some stories in the Old Testament, some rich stories that maybe uh, we had passed over, or maybe, uh, maybe we grew up in Sunday school and we heard some of these crazy stories that came from the Bible and, and you know, maybe we just kind of missed some of the details. We're going to dig into some of those things. So maybe you grew up and uh, you don't know much about the Bible at all. Uh, this is a great place for you to start. We're going to fill in the gaps of the Old Testament and we're really going to pull out some interesting stories. And so hopefully, uh, my hope for us is that we, as we're digging into God's Word, that it would truly change our life. You know, the Bible says that, that every word that comes from Scripture is God-breathed. And that literally means that everything that we read in this Bible is spoken to us by the living God. And so when we open up God's Word, what we begin to see is that if we listen to it, it's useful for teaching and correcting and to really change our life. And so my hope for you is that uh, maybe you haven't dug into God's Word. You know, maybe you said, man, when I look at that book, it's really intimidated or intimidating. Or, you know, when I get into the Old Testament and I start to, to read chapter after chapter of people's weird names, right? I want to give up, right? Like, I want you to know that if you stick with it, the, the promise of God's Word is that it will change your life. And so hopefully in this series, it spurs us on to do that, the richness and the depth of God's love for us. And so uh, before we get started today, uh, would you pray with me? Uh, pray for this message today and also for the series at all of our campuses. Uh, Lord Jesus, we, we thank you. We thank you that you're a God who isn't distant. Uh, we thank you that you're a God who speaks to us, even today so clearly through your word. Lord, I pray that as we do that today, as we investigate, as we dig into biblical truth, God, that we would see that you are a God who has been involved with his people from the very beginning of creation, even till today. So God, as we start this new series, give us a new desire, a new passion for your word. God, be with all of our campuses today as we all join in in one message and one truth from your word today. We love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. We are today going to start in the book of Numbers. And so if you have your Bible or the Bible app, you can jump to Numbers chapter 22, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. So it's the fourth book in the Bible. You can jump there. And as we're going to jump to Numbers chapter 22, let's give you a little bit of a context of what's going on here. So God uh, has just led his people out of the Exodus in Egypt. 
And so they were enslaved, they were uh, you know, under the rule, and they were basically slaves. And so God protected his people, and he's leading them into the promised land, the land that he had promised them uh, many, many years before. And so here they are, and they're going in, and God is giving them directives, directives on how to be in relationship with him. Uh, we know that God gave them the Ten Commandments, so it's this uh, kind of this order of living, and so these are the things that, that if you live this way and if you do these things that I have set before you, that you're going to have life, both physical and spiritual. And so we see that God is now then leading them to the edge of the promised land, and then something happens. And here's what happens. They begin to complain. Now, uh, when I say complain, it literally is like complaining. The Bible says grumbling, complaining, but everything that they were doing was full of complaints. Uh, my wife and I, we were complaining. I was complaining to her last night, and she's like, man, you're just so, so pessimistic all of the time. Well, that's what they were doing. So they're being led. God just literally led them out, miracle after miracle, uh, a fire by night and a cloud by day. God is providing for them. He's showing his faithfulness, and here they are out of slavery, and they begin to complain. Uh, the Bible says they complained about their food. They didn't like the manna that they were given. They, they were complaining about Moses, their leader. Oh, he's a terrible leader, right? Uh, they didn't like him. It was too hot. It was too cold. We're tired. This is a long journey. Like, the cell phone service is terrible, right? Like, every little thing that they can complain about, they're complaining about. Now, how many of you can relate to this, right? If you have teenage kids, you've heard this complaining before, right? Like, this is terrible. This food is awful. Like, I don't want to do this. School sucks. Like, life sucks. I mean, all of these things, right? And it's like complaint after complaint after complaint. And that's exactly what's going on here. And so God has to do something to get their attention. And so in the midst of this complaining, what we see is it's layered with a level of unbelief. Uh, even though God was faithful to them for, for many, many years to his promises, and, and he always fulfilled those promises, we see this level of complaining and unbelief. And so that's where we pick up the story today, and we're in Numbers chapter 21, and we're going to start in verse 4 together. And it says this, it says, Then the people of Israel set out from Mount Hor, taking the road to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. But the people grew impatient with the long journey, and they began to speak against God and Moses. And here comes the complaining. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness as if what they were going through in slavery was better? <laughs> They've just been moved out of that, and they're complaining now. There is nothing to eat here and nothing to drink, and we hate this horrible manna. You know what I, what I love about this, this funny story is that they wanted meat, <laughs> A couple chapters later, uh, in I think it's chapter 11, they were complaining about the manna, and they said, we just want some meat, like the meat that we had in Egypt, and so God gives them these quail, and so much quail to eat, and then they start complaining about that, right? So it's literally complaint after complaint after complaint, and really what they were doing is they were making it all about themselves, and we do this often, don't we? I think there's this definition of sin, a definition that we've kind of come up with uh, that we have in um, the pursuit, things that we uh, kind of share in, in mentoring here at Alpine Church. And the definition is trusting and acting on your own opinions and feelings, right? We're very self-centered, going my way against God's way, rather than trusting and acting on God's truth. And so what we see in this story is God has to get their attention. 
Let's jump back into verse 6, and it says this. It says, So the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and many were bitten and died. Then the people came to Moses and cried out, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take these snakes away. So Moses prayed for the people. I can only begin to imagine what's happening here. They realize that the grumbling that they're doing is like sin, and they realize that God is doing something, and they say, oh my gosh, we better do something different. And so they go back to the leader that they don't like, Moses, and say, pray for us, Moses. You can speak to God. And so here they are, and so Moses prays for the people, and here's what happens next. In verse 8 and 9, it says, Then the Lord told Moses, Make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. All who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. If they simply look at it. So Moses did what God told him. He made a snake out of the bronze and attached it to a pole, then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. Now, in case you missed this story uh, in the Bible, this is a little confusing when we first look at it, right? We look at this and we say, okay, God, like, why snakes? You know, like, couldn't you use cats? Anybody here who hates snakes, like, as bad as I do? Like, snakes and spiders are the worst things ever, right? I mean, we can all agree on that. Uh, and maybe cats too. Cats are from the devil. That's like bottom three. Like if you're a cat lover, I'm sorry. I'm a dog guy. But God, why this way? You know, like this is super confusing. And I think that kind of leads us to our, our first point. If we look at this, God's instructions to Moses, what he asked Moses to do was confusing for a couple reasons. Number one, because of what snakes represented. We, we know that at the very beginning when sin entered the world, Satan came in the form of a, a serpent, right? And so there's this picture of uh, serpents being kind of evil. Uh, there's this uh, kind of indication that it might kind of represent sin, right? Because sin entered the world through Satan as he slithered in as a serpent, and so there's that element, but then there's another element where God is asking Moses to make really a, an idol, essentially. <laughs> and if you know anything about the Ten Commandments, right, what God gave to his people, the second commandment is to what? To not have any idols before, before God. And so we look at this situation and we say, okay, Snakes, that's creepy, right? We don't like snakes, and then that's, that's difficult. But then, God, you want them to make idols? Like, we come to this part of the story, and we just skim over it, and we miss, like, there's a lot of crazy things here. You know, snakes alone is enough to scare me, but what, what this would have meant for them is they, the Israelites didn't like snakes either. It's not just us that hate snakes. They didn't like it either, and, and here's what would happen. You know, nowadays, if we get bit by a snake, what can we do? We can rush to the hospital. They've got anti-serum or whatever they call it, and, you know, we can, you know, kind of fight some of those things, but that wasn't the case. You didn't just run to the hospital in these times, and so what this would have meant for them is a very slow and painful death like a death that would just literally take over their body. And so there's this element of fear. And you know, when I, when I read this, I think, God, why, why did you have to punish them this way? I mean, have you ever wondered that in your own life? Like, God, this thing that I'm going through, isn't there a better way? <laughs> like, God, if, if you're a loving, caring God, if you're a God that loves your people, a God that loves us so much, why would you send snakes 
to kill them? <laughs> like, th- that's a very real question that we have. And, you know, I think the answer to that is that sometimes God has to do something very serious to get our attention. Sometimes we are so self-focused, we're so self-absorbed, we have made life so much about us that God has to do something very serious to get our attention. And never mind the fact that God is a holy God, God is a God who cannot sin, and so his righteous judgment on his people is death. In fact, the Bible says the wages of our sin, in Romans 6.23, is death. And so there's this means of justification, but we look at this and say, why God? And then we say, well, why God then an idol? (laughs) Like, why would you have him do this? And and you know what I think the reason why God did this is because he wanted them to have faith and obedience. God wanted them to have a simple faith and to follow that faith with obedience. I mean, there's, 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 it's just preposterous to think that if snakes are all around me, poisonous venomous snakes, and I look up at a, a, a snake on a pole, I'm going to be saved, right? Like, if, if snakes are all around me, what am I doing? I'm finding the nearest rock, you know, and I'm like this, you know what I mean? Like, whoa, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know why I did that. There's a snake right there, but, but, but you get what I'm saying? Like, there's this fear that you would be doing, but instead, God was saying, here's what I want you to do. I want you to listen to what I'm telling you to do, and I want you to look. And when you look, you'll be saved. And in that moment, how many people do you think were looking as they were being bitten? And I can only begin to imagine what that might have been like. But there was probably a lot of us that were doing that, running and hiding in fear. God, I can't can't believe that that's the way, this, this is the way, that this is what you would want me to do. Like, God, are we for real? But that's exactly what he wanted them to do. And you know, here's what I think is so interesting about this. God demonstrated his faithfulness for all of their life. Like God demonstrated his faithfulness to them over and over and over again, time after time, time after time. And even in the midst of their complaining and their sin and their grumbling, God still remained faithful. Do you know why? Because God can't go against his promises. And so, but what he can do is say, listen, I'll do whatever it takes to get your attention because I want to draw you back to me. You know, it's it's a difficult thing to think, man, what does this look look like for me? I mean, I think there's a lot for us to learn here. You know, sometimes God, I think the main thing is that sometimes God allows things to happen to us to get our attention. And and look, there are a lot of things in this world that are difficult. Loss, (laughs) you know, there's things that, you know, relationship problems, there's addictions, there's all of these things. And sometimes God will use those things, the bad things. God says that he uses all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes in Romans 8, 28. And so God, even in the midst of our sin and our, our, our complaining and our grumbling and our selfishness, God can use those things to get our attention. Sometimes it comes in a form of something difficult and sometimes it comes in a form of something of blessing. But the question is, regardless of what happens in those moments, will we act in obedience and in faith? And so how how could this story represent the goodness of God? How could this story represent the faithfulness of God? Well, I think that's our second point today. When we look at this, when we look at the story, the bronze snake, what God was doing is he was foreshadowing the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Well, you might say, well, wait, what? 
He, he's doing what by putting a snake up? I mean, snake is a serpent. That's evil, right? Jesus isn't that. Jesus is, is holy. So what's the, the foreshadowing here? Well, here's what we need to see is that Jesus became sin Jesus took on the sin of humanity upon him so that as we are bitten or as we are overtaken by sin, all we have to do is look at Jesus on the cross. Now, where do we get this from? Well, Jesus himself said this in John 3, chapter 15. Listen to what he said. He's going back and he's saying this story. He says, just as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. You see what Jesus is doing right here is he's connecting the dots between an Old Testament story that we may have missed and he's bringing it back to life. And he's saying that even in Numbers chapter 21, when God was leading his people and they were grumbling and complaining, he had a plan. Because the grumbling and complaining didn't stop in Numbers 21. Keep reading. <laughs> Keep reading. And it still hasn't stopped today. I mean, I look at my own, my own self and my own attitude and some of the things that I do very selfishly in my relationship with God and my relationship with my family and in life and how selfish that I am, it has not stopped but you see, even then, God making a way is faithfulness and his goodness to us. He had a way to save the Israelites, but he was also planning a way to save all of mankind. There's something very powerful about that, friends. And so when we come to John 3.15, we may have missed it in the Old Testament, but what he's doing is he's connecting the dots. And you know what? This is right before this is right before the verse that many of us see at football games that they're holding up, John 3, 16, right? And we know what, he, what, what the Bible says there, right? It says, it says very clearly a message of the gospel. It says, for this is how God loved the world. God demonstrates his love to us. He doesn't just say, I love you. In fact, he demonstrates his love for us by giving his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but instead will have eternal life. You see, you might, you might look at this and say, well, that's so far-fetched that you're pulling that concept uh, way back when in Numbers 21 and putting it right here. Well, first of all, Jesus said it. I mean, Jesus said that's exactly what was happening. And second of all, we, we take it a step further, and Jesus says, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to show you and I'm going to be, I'm going to take on the sin of the world. I am going to become sin. He who knew no sin will become sin to take it upon him so that we could experience the righteousness of God. You see, so when I, when I look back and I step back into the time of the snakes and of the idols and of the serpents, I put myself in that situation and I say, man, in the midst of my selfishness and my sin, I am left for dead. But God had a plan. God was faithful. And here's what I want you to see. If you're questioning at all the faithfulness and the goodness and the consistency of our living God, all you have to do is open up the Bible and you start in Genesis chapter 3 when Satan came. God had just created everything perfectly. And he said, listen, the one thing that you can't do is this. It's the, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Please don't do that. And what did we do? <laughs> we usually do what we're told not to do, Right? We go our own way, sin, there's God's standard, we go our own way, and because of sin entering the world, it destroyed everything, including our relationship with God. There was a massive chasm because of that sin. 
The Bible says in Genesis chapter 3 that that happened, but even then he said the, that the, the coming son, the Messiah, will crush the head of the serpent. This, Jesus, is the fulfillment in Genesis chapter 3. And then we run to Numbers 21, and we say, wow, this is what's happening, and God, he had a plan. So if we take Genesis 23, and we go to Numbers 21, and we see that being fulfilled, and then we jump to John 3.15 and John 3.16, and then we continue to read in through John, and we see that that's exactly what Jesus did, that he hung on a cross. And the Bible says that anybody who looks to the cross and believes that Jesus was God, that he took the sin of humanity upon him, if we believe that and we confess that he is Lord and we lay our sins at his feet, the Bible says that we are saved, saved just as they were saved as they were being attacked by venomous snakes. You see, what we need to understand is the correlation between God saying something and seeing it all the way to fulfillment. He cannot go against his promises. And what we know about Jesus is, says this in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for God made Christ who never sinned. He never sinned. He was God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. He left the comfort of heaven with, with the inability to sin because he was God. And friends, he took that sin, our sin, the weight of that sin, the payment of that sin, the shame of that sin, all upon himself, and he hung on a cross, the worst death that he could possibly die. And he did that, so all we have to do is glance to the cross and say, please, and the Bible says that we will be spared, much like they were in the Old Testament. You know, when, when Moses made that bronze snake, there's no way he knew that that was going to be what was to come. But that is who our God is. Thousands of years later, he fulfills his promises to his people. If there is question or doubt, if you are wondering, God, are you faithful? All you have to do is read his word. And see the truth. And the Bible says that if we would just put our faith in him, then we will be saved. You see, the, 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 the understanding of God's word, maybe we missed it in the Old Testament, but God loves us so much that he, he made it ever so clear to us in the New Testament. And my hope for you today is that you would receive that and he would make it even more clear for you personally. You know, friends, if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says very easily. It's, it's in Romans 10, 9, and 10 says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he was God, that he died on the cross, that he took our sin upon him, and that he didn't stay there. In fact, because he was God, he defeated death. He rose to new life. The Bible says that if we believe, confess our sins laid upon him, that's as easy as it is. And so we think, God, why this way? You know, God, why did you do it this way with the snakes? God, why did you do it this way? You know, with Jesus, was there another way? Well, the answer is no. There wasn't another way. There had to be a payment for our sin, and it was only the sacrifice of someone who was perfect. Friends, that's Jesus. The Bible says that we can take the righteousness and perfection of him upon ourselves, and that we, if we say yes to God, we get to spend eternity with him. If you've never done that, please do not leave here today without making that decision. It will determine your eternity. And I would love to share with you how simple that is. We'd love to pray with you. Uh, please come up and talk afterwards. But but that's not the end of the story. And I, I bring this part of the story up because I think it's just as important for us to understand. And it's our final point today, is that what we see is later in the story, later in history, 
Actually, it's in 2 Kings, and we'll show you that here shortly. What happens is, is the people made this statue an idol. <laughs> they, they literally made this statue the object of their faith instead of the subject of their faith, who was God. And what they did is instead of saying, God, okay, Moses, you went to God and God gave you these instructions and we're looking at the God who gave us the way to overcome this, what they did is they said, look at this serpent. Look at this thing on a pole. We look at it and we're saved. And you see what happens is, is over time, this, this sin comes back. Over time, this, this grumbling and complaining of what God had already done for them was not enough. So what they did is they begin to put their faith in future generations on an idol. They, they began to, to move away from who God was, the faithfulness and the love and the care of God, to then say, man, this idol is what saved us. And so this is what we read in 2 Kings it says Hezekiah, who was a, a God-honoring king, he was a God-fearing king, he was very close to God. He comes on the scene and, they, and he sees all of these idols that they were making. It says he removed these pagan shrines and smashed the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah poles. It says he broke up the bronze serpent that Moses had made because the people of Israel had been offering sacrifices to it. The bronze serpent was called Nehushtan. Now, what I love about this, this little word here, Nehushtan, what this means is it was just a piece of brass. And it's almost like the author is just saying what they were worshiping was worthless. They were just worshiping a piece of brass. Instead of being faithful to the God who led them from, from Exodus, who led them out of slavery, the God who was ushering them into the promised land, the God who had provided for them over and over and over again. It says, instead of tuning and turning into worshiping God, what they did is they put their faith in a worthless piece of brass. It had become about the object of their worship and not the subject who is God. You know, I, I think about this in my own life, and, and maybe you should ponder this too as you go back and read the story. Like how many times has God been faithful to me and I've gone back to something else? <laughs> you know, God has demonstrated his faithfulness in my marriage. God has demonstrated his faithfulness in, in work and, and he's demonstrated his faithfulness in taking me out of sin and giving me a new life. I mean, whatever, fill in the blank on how God's been faithful to you. And what do we do? We go back, don't we, to, to pessimism, to fear, to doubt, to a lack of obedience, to a lack of faith. You know, we go back to all of these things because it's comfortable instead of remembering the goodness and the faithfulness of God. I think that we need to look at this story and we need to say, look, God, you're faithful. God, you've always been faithful. You were faithful to your people and you are faithful to us. And so may the object of my faith be only you. May you only be everything that I depend on and that I rest on and that I believe in because of your goodness and your faithfulness. You know, I think, I think then there are times where we then make, believe it or not, good things, idols in our life. And I'm not just talking about the personal things like money and the house and the cars and relationships and all those things. I'm talking about church things. Like we put our faith in, you know, the 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 teacher or the pastor or the speaker. 
You know, we put our faith in, in the act of worship. We put our faith in, in what we're doing and how we're serving. You know, look at me. I'm serving in kids' church. I'm the greatest thing ever. You're right, but be humble, okay? Like, if you're in kids' church, you're better than everyone else. So sign up now. We're always looking for kids' church members. But, but seriously, like, look, I know, I, I know the Bible. I can actually, I know I can go and, and read every book of the Bible back to you by memorization, and I can beat you in Bible trivia, right? We make it about this, or, or look, the cross is everything to me, but then we miss what the cross represents. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. And friends, are we putting him at the very forefront of our life? Because if we're not, what happens is we will slip back into the past. We will slip back into the ways of the world. We will slip back into not depending completely and wholly on the faithfulness of God. The Bible says that when we do, we miss out on the richness of what he has for us. You know, I think it's so important that we look at this and we say, look, okay, we may have missed this story. Man, what a powerful nugget, a foreshadowing of Jesus that we find in Numbers 21. But, but listen, we have to remember that the way of the world is strong. And if we don't give everything that we have to God, we can easily be pulled back into it. And so maybe you need, friend who is a believer in Jesus Christ, maybe you need to get back to the subject of the faith and not the object. So wherever you're at, maybe that's saying, God, I need to put you first in my life. Or maybe today you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ and you need to start now and God wants to give you a new life. And we'd love to share with you how to do that. Please, friends, go back, read the story. Open up God's word, the word that is living and active, and begin to piece the history, the history of God's faithfulness together. And when you do, I believe it'll change your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you are consistent, that you are faithful, that there is none like you. Thank you, God, that you demonstrate your faithfulness and your goodness, that there's no one else that can say one thing and always consistently follow that thing through time. We see that by evidence in your word, God. And Lord, one day, for those of us who will put our faith in you, we'll see it face to face. We'll say, see, look at the scars. Look what I demonstrated for you on the cross so that we could be in relationship with you. God, wherever we are on that journey here in this room today, by the love and kindness and the power of your Holy Spirit, would you help us to take the next step? Maybe that's obedience and faith for the first time, or maybe that's getting back to the heart of what it means to live and to love you in everything we do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.